Summertime. Sunshine, fresh air, peace and quiet. And the great American Bash. We live the greatest moments in history making matches. This is where the summertime kicks off. As legends and icons clashed at the Bash. Oh my God, they're standing now. Stinger has done it. It's a comprehensive look at the annual summer classic. United We Slam. The best of the great American Bash. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. July weekend Reflectionites, all you patriotic Reflectionites, the red, white, and blue Reflectionites, the ones waving their flags Reflectionites, the ones drinking their beer Reflectionites in the porch, on the boats, having the hot dogs, the hamburgers, you are celebrating Americana weekend here at the PWR Podcast, here at the PWSN Network, at iBeam.com, and I am your host of Americana. I am the host with the most. I am the man, you know, bleeding red, white, and blue in his bloodstreams, but also, but it's not the American flag, it's the Puerto Rican flag, but that's another story for another day. But anyway, I am the most glorious Americana host. I am the most scholarly Americana host. I am the most progressive Americana host, but most importantly, I am the most objective Americana Man in this IWC, YWC. I am the most objective man in this podcast, Pundin Tree. I am your host, the Professor Chubba Cruz, welcoming the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the Naughty Nine, the Terrific Ten, the Essential Eleven, who listen religiously on PWS Networks at Powerbeam.com. Of course, those big Vetoites on the big Vito brand. We welcome you here at your Powerbeam's uh, locations too. And if you're lucky enough, we got some Reflectionites listening, well, not listening, but viewing us on the PWSO YouTube networks. So I'm not here alone to celebrate the Americanas. He, I have my cohort in crime. He has his flag draped over his house. He has his flag planted on his green lawns. Of Amer- well, he also has the flag dripped over on his toy uh, Hall of Fame. He is your friend and mine. He is Mr. Wonderful. He is the liberal conservative. I don't know. I don't like that. I still love conservative <laughs> liberal. I still have the t-shirts. God damn it. But anyway, he is your friend and mine. T-Strong. 
the dum dum duo of all dum dum duos, the Iron Stomach one, Tommy Wonder. How are you doing on this Fourth of July weekend? Now that this iPad's working right, good. I'm doing good. <laughs> well, you know, we're celebrate we're celebrating Americana with Japanese equipment. That's the old saying, right? Korean, isn't this? Isn't I don't Korean? know. I, uh, what's uh, L LG is all Korean stuff. Could be. Uh, yeah, but yeah. It's a good topic. It's a good, uh, you know, I hate that Survivor Series isn't on Thanksgiving anymore. I hate Starcade. Get flat out moved to December. Um, I get it. You know, business decisions. And at the end of the day, we complain about people shopping on mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, making people have to work. Uh, so, you know what? It probably should have never been on Thanksgiving in the first place, other than when it was the Starcade, other than when it was like just a local thing. And it mm -hmm. was easy for people to go from eating their bird to the show. And it was a tradition. Uh, then when they started rotating it, moving everywhere, that kind of made it a, a begrudging day to work for, for you know, the concessions, the, the wrestlers having to be away from home uh, mm -hmm. on that holiday. And so Great American Bash is synonymous with the 4th of July, even though there's been Great American Bashes, I think, Maybe not Ever. June, but early July and late July, and not necessarily mm -hmm. on. I was, I was actually, you know, I researched some of this stuff before we did this. Um, eighty-eight was the first pay-per-view, but it started in eighty-five. So eight, but eighty-five right. was again more of a local annual thing they did in whatever area. Oh, which wait, is, hold, I, hold, 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 hold that thought. Well, reflection night, since we're bantering back and forth, because this is boardroom style, I haven't even said what we're even doing here. This oh. <laughs> is the PWR Podcast. This is the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and we are here because, you know, TW always drinks. He drinks a lot of the, the liqueur. He drinks a lot of the beers, and since this is Americana's weekend, he already has got the conversation going, and we are talking about the Great American Bash. We're talking about the Great American Bashes from the NWAs in the 85s, in the mid-80s. We're talking about the Great American Bashes from the WCWs in the 90s. And maybe we'll talk about the little sprinklets of the WWEs uh, trying to recapture the glory of the Great American Bashes. But yes, TW is right. It is a Dusty Rose creation from 1985. And it was a Dusty Rose creation that he wanted to create a summer tradition for, you know, the NWA wrestlers. You know... TW, you, you are right. The first pay-per-view of the Great American Bash was 1988. But we can talk about 1985 first, which, like I said, this is a Dusty Rose creation. You know, 1985 is the boom period. You know what I mean, TW? Let, let's be honest with the boom period because, you know, rock and wrestling is going on. WrestleMania 1 was a monster success. Dusty Rose wanted to capitalize on, you know, the, the fandom of, of professional wrestling. And, of course, you have the NWA, and the NWA is already steamrolling with the emergence of the Four Horsemen. Ric Flair is your top guy of the NWA, the heavyweight champion of the world. So we need something to fill up the summer months because, you know, traditionally, you know, Thanksgiving, as you said it, was the uh, most important day on the calendar for the territories because that was their blow-off. So the summers, why was the summers, TW, in your humble opinion, kind of like the slow days? Because, you know, we know people go out for, the, for baseball in the summertime. You want to see the Mets, you want to see the Tigers, you want to see the Dodgers. But I guess maybe Dusty Rose thought 
to bring the Americana tradition into the summertime for professional wrestling. And Great American Bash was that perfect, you know, the storm, the the perfect storm of events for professional wrestling. What say you, TW? Two answers to that question. You didn't really ask this one, but I believe the reason they picked summer is because, I mean, obviously it became a quarterly thing because inevitably you have WrestleMania, SummerSlam, uh, Survivor Series, and then Royal Rumble, which aren't exactly spaced out three months apart. Mm -hmm. But by doing July to Thanksgiving, it's almost six months, so it's a halfway point. So Starcade can lead to the Bash. Bash can lead to Starcade. So you don't have year-long feuds, just six-month-long feuds. The reason summer doesn't draw, um, when I was wrestling indies, we wrestled during the school year, basically, was really the big draws, right? Big draws, 200 people. Um, mm-hmm. Because you would wrestle in a school, or you would wrestle in a bingo hall, or you would wrestle in a, uh ice rink, you know, like a local ice rink, not the damn New York Men's Square Garden. But, um, and people would come because... A, it's cold. People would rather be indoors for most of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, it's easy to advertise to students in a school when it's happening at that school, blah, blah, blah. And then the summer comes, and we didn't do any of, like, all those shows that I wrestled for that had any co- continuity between show to show with angles and stuff like that. Then in the summer, we would wrestle festivals where, okay. you know, you'd wrestle at a carnival that let us set up the ring on the tennis court <laughs> or in the best match I've ever had in my life was against Kid Copperpot in an ice rink. I talked about it before at the Livonia Spree because people just came in to get out of the heat and they didn't necessarily come because it was wrestling and they cheered the good guy, booed the bad guy, and it was just awesome, right? So because mm-hmm. they participated. They didn't just come in there and sit on their hands. But the reason wrestling slow in the summer is because, A, you don't have a lot of those buildings to use because they're closed for the summer, you know, schools and stuff like that. And B, gotcha. people travel. People go to Cedar Point. People go to SeaWorld. People do stuff as families. They go on vacation. So they're not home to do what they would normally do in March or whatever if they made a weekly, you know, shit. Starcade and all that stuff was the big show, but they wrestled in Atlanta every week. They wrestled in Dallas every week. They We didn't do that here. We wrestled once a month because once a week, you would, you would definitely not, you wouldn't get everybody to show up for every show. They come once a month because they feel like it's a happening versus mm-hmm. if it was every week, to use church as an example, if you miss one week, no big deal, right? Well, right. if everybody misses that same week, it is a big deal because you're probably not going to have another show because you lost your money on the one that nobody it, showed up at. It, it is funny you say that because let's kind of focus on that first, like the mid-80s when Dusty Rose wanted to create this summer tradition. You just said like... You know, the church, you know, let's go with that church atmosphere because, you know, world class every Monday or, or maybe every Friday was the sportatorium. I forget which day it is, but you can, you know what I'm talking about. Jerry Lawler's Mid-South Coliseum every Monday. You had to be at that venue. So, you know, Dusty Rose and the NWA does the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, but that they can't do that every week because that's a big building. And you don't want to, you know, like you said that you want to do smaller venues Whereas the armories and stuff like that, you get like 2,000 people. You want it, especially on TV purposes, TW, you want it to look like it's filled up with people screaming like that. So you don't want to see like empty seats. So Dusty Rose wanted to create an attraction of a big event. We, we know it's a WrestleMania type event. It's a big event. And you're right because from Star, you know, Starcade was November of, of every year before, you know. But basically December because it was the last week of November. 
Well, it was thank, on how many it was Thursday, the, how many Thursdays thank, there were. Yeah, right. but it was Thanksgiving where the blowoffs happened. So you needed, like you you had you you hit the nail on the head. You needed to create something, the gapper. You had to fill that gap in the summer. So the Great American Bash, whether Dusty Rhodes knew it or not, created a masterpiece by having a big time event called the Great American Bash. So TW, before we even talk about the memories of the Great American Bash, you know we. we the NWA, again, Ric Flair was the heavyweight champion. Tully Blanchard was either the television champion or the national heavyweight champion. We know R. Anderson and Ole Anderson. The, the Anderson brothers were always fighting, you know, to either try to become the tag team champions or they were the national tag team champions. So you already had your agitators. Dusty Rose is there. And remember, the Road Warriors are not there just yet. But I know that Dusty Rose was shrewd enough to know that he can steal the the road warriors away from Bert and Ganya because of this event TW because I remember in 1985 the road warriors actually came to the NWA as the AWA tag team champions so the forbidden door I hate wow. that word I hate that word TW because it's been used <laughs> a lot loosely but anybody remember this reflection ice and I'm not joking you know you can go to the, the to the after mags the AWA Tag Team Champions was on end up not only on NWA television, but at an NWA event like the Great American Bash TW. That is the definition of the forbidden door being open. What say you, TW? It's definitely not ever going to happen again, other than Smoky Mountain Belts being on Raw. Um, mm -hmm. But back then, AWA was a legitimate place to make a living right right and I, maybe maybe smoky mountain was too but i don't think they were making you know they were probably trying to sell merch on top of it not knowing when they're going to pay their bills but uh that's pretty impressive because i didn't know that and that's probably a non-televised one yeah i i don't know if it's non-televised but tw i mean remember like the first three before the 1988 one because then it kind of like you know it's very expensive because Dusty Rose's vision was it was a summer tour the whole month right. of July. You know, four right. Saturdays or Sundays of July, something was going was popping off at an NWA Great American Bash event. Because remember, 1985, remember uh, that year, Ric Flair versus Nikita Koloff? That was the event, Great American Bash, where Ric Flair came down from the helicopter in Charlotte, North Kakalaki to face the Russian nightmare Nikita Koloff. That was a great American bash event. Dusty Rose versus Tully Blanchard. I forget which belt it was, but it was in a steel cage, and that was a great American bash event. The Russians against the Road Warriors in a chain match. That was a great American bash event. That's what, doesn't that sound like a stack card right there? That right. you cannot miss those kind of main events. What say you, TW? Yep, but I'm going to say this. 1990, the first pay-per-view one, felt like... Well, that's the, like, that's the third one. It's the third one, but the first pay-per-view is... I'm sorry, 88. 88 mm -hmm. was the first... You're right. So, yeah, third one. Anyway, um, 1990 felt more like a clash of the champions. Even, okay. though you had, even though you had Luger... I'm sorry. Sting versus Flair was the build-up, obviously. Two things happened. First Great American Bash in 85, this happened. Opening match was Buddy Landell. Mm -hmm. 1990... Opening match is Buddy Landell. Closing match is Ric Flair versus um, Sting. He literally is in the ring with a pink robe with mm -hmm. sequins on it. 
And he is called the Nature Boy Buddy Landell. And to me, that's always weird to me because that would that would be still like having Gilbert in the opening match and then Goldberg in the in the closing match on WWE. You're not putting Gilbert on a show that Gilbert Goldberg's on because mm-hmm. a he felt like it was a knock. Granted, Buddy Landell was not a knock on Ric Flair, but there was heat over it, and you know, or like he was calling himself the real Nature Boy when it was still territories, right? When there mm-hmm. was no one to tell him no. By 88, there's someone to tell him no. And for them to announce him as Nature Boy Buddy Landell, it's mind-blowing to me that Ric Flair wasn't like, screw you, because nobody really did a figure four leg lock unless they were in a match with Ric Flair trying to do his move to him, right? So obviously Flair had... Well, T.W., to be fair. Well, I don't even want to say to be fair, but Ric Flair got... Buddy Lando back. I mean, even if, though he's calling himself the Nature Boy, but he's opening the match. He's not very much valued, no matter where he is. And even if it's a pay per view event, he wasn't valued on TV. He wasn't valued on TBS. He was there to fill a, you know, fill the car to me. So Rick Flair didn't feel he didn't feel threatened. But you still have him sullying the name. What if someone <clears throat> turned it on? Just heard Nature Boy didn't pay attention to Buddy Lando and then watched him get mopped up on Saturday night. And thought, that's Ric Flair, and then never watched again. I understand that as a casual viewer, but, you know, we're the hardcore fans. We know that the na- the real, true nature boy is Buddy Rogers. He was the first. Ric Flair stole it from him, and people said, he you might stealing. Well himself nature boy Buddy Flair. He should, but, you or know. Rick that- Rogers. And then he no. can piss off Rip Rogers on top of it. It, it. It's funny that, you know, you remember Buddy Landell, you know, opening at 85, and then, you know, hindsight's 2020 that he opened in 1990. So it, it's I a funny. I watched him open in 90, and then I read he opened the very first Great American Bash in 85, and I thought, right. that's weird. I wonder if he just did it every year. Another side note is 1990, Tom Zink, the Z-Man, I don't know why mm-hmm. he couldn't have been called Tom Zink, he was Vader's debut in a squash, and mm-hmm. in 1991, he was the worst debut of the worst character in the history of wrestling. He was the debut for Oz, where he had to stay in the ring for about fucking eight minutes for that skit to play out, only mm-hmm. for Kevin Nash to come out and beat him in about four seconds with the, the tornado giant swing backslide move. And I just thought, wow, you that I don't. I, I do remember thinking, wow, Tom Zink lost that quick, but the whole logic was the guy was a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing that he lost to Vader the year before, it's amazing to me that no one ever just gave up on Zink, like fans, right? They still got behind him. He still was a pretty boy. He never won anything, but that's that's Joey Mag's territory right there. When you two pay-per-view, two great American bashes in a row, you're a squash for a debuting uh, new guy. Well, you know, the checks were really big there. I, I do it too. I think you would do it too, TW. You would you would get squashed by Vader and Oz and be like, I'm and you'd be on social media with just like, You think I'm losing? You think I'm <laughs> you think I'm not I'm not making it in wrestling? I, I show I show my stacks that big, Reflectionites. You know, let let's go you know, I, I like that you're going everywhere around here. So I'm gonna go back into the eighties, you know. We don't have to talk about 85. You know, let's, let's talk about, like, 1986. Let's, let's talk about the professor's memory of 1986 because I had the VHS video cassette of the Great American Bash of that particular year. So I don't know if you ever you ever saw that one or, you know, you remember the VHS of 86? I remember VHSs. I, I, I did not 
everything you're about to drop on me is going to be learning. I'm under the, co- the coach. You like John the coach. I'm under the professor's learning tree right now. Well, stand I, back. I remember the stories. Well, not, not 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 the stories, but, you know, if any reflection that has that VHS of 1986, it was hosted by Bill After and Gordon Sully. And they were giving, you know, spots, you know, they were talking about all the major spots of the particular 1986 tours of the Great American Bash. So why the 86 uh, Bash really caught the professor's ITW and all the reflectionites out there is because I remember that particular year, Ric Flair, if you want to talk about storylines, T.W., Ric Flair was on Saturday, you know, TBS 605, proclaiming his greatness, saying that he's going to defend his title at the Great American Bash Tour 13 times in that month span. So, you know, they, they caught one moment where he was at the Philadelphia uh, Stadium where the Phillies played. And he had a title defense against Road Warrior Hawk. He had a title defense against Ricky Morton in another uh, stadium. And this particular year in 86, NWA was doing stadiums. If you go with the kayfabe commentaries, they were, make, they were packing them like 30, 40, 50,000 people in the stadium. They were making money. Jim Crockett was making money. I, but, T.W., you know, before I even, I even get into the Ric Flair thing, I mean, the stadium aspect and Jim Crockett, is making all this money, but he does not know. He needs a bookkeeper. He, right. he needs a bookkeeper if he's selling out stadiums and being a, a major threat to Vince McMahon because the Carolinas, the southern wrestling territory, it belonged to Crockett. There was no going wrong. He, you had the players, TW. You know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but knowing that at least in 86, they were doing stadiums in the summer. They were drawing good people in the summer, as you said, it was the slow months. How could NWA have failed with all that money, you know, with the money? The Here's mines. why, right? So, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the logic old money, new money, right? Mm-hmm. New money is people winning lotteries or signing contracts. Old money is money that's passed down, 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 down. If you pay attention to a lot of people with money now, the one thing they make their kids get is an education. I don't, I don't know if Jim Crockett Jr. or David Crockett, I don't know if those guys went to school. The problem is, even if they did, they didn't go to school for the right thing, like business management, whatever. And mm-hmm. so everything we're talking about, 88 is the first summer, or I think it's the first SummerSlam, but 88 is the first Great American Bash is a pay-per-view, also the first SummerSlam. I would, I would stand to say, sure, there's going to be people that disagree with me relentlessly, SummerSlam produced more memories for me as a kid. And to be fair, I didn't get to watch the NWA until later. But even having watched this 1999 or 1990, which I had never, 91, I mean, yeah, 90, Stingers Flair. I had never watched it before, so I watched it. And again, it came off as a free clash of the champions with a huge main event where Mm -hmm. SummerSlam was something they built up to for six months. And to be fair, February to July, because Sting's injury. But opening matches of Buddy Landell versus I don't remember who he wrestled. And then 1991 was Harley race versus Tommy rich. Like they thought they were going to get some reaction for it because now they're both 60 wrestling each other. Like they did in 82 or 81, whatever year it was, no one cared. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even 91 Luger versus Wyndham, the, the, the crowd is just not into it. And then throughout the match, we'll Luger get into that. Jesus is a little bit like he wants him to be into it. I've said this before, 
the fans are sitting there just waiting for you to give them a reason to be there. So if you never do, they don't. Whenever someone blames fans for sitting on their hands, pay attention. It's because the wrestler's not engaging them. They just think that their moves are supposed to make them pop. And they do sometimes. But here's the deal. You can only pop for the Frankensteiner once. Maybe the second time because he does it to a bigger guy. And you're like, whoa. But once you've seen it, you're not going to have that same first reaction to it. So after you do the Frankensteiner, what does Scott Steiner do every time? He mm-hmm. lands almost kneeling like The Undertaker and does his fist pump like this, and that makes the crowd go crazy because they want to go crazy with him. But if he just did the Frankensteiner and then picks him up for another move, no one cares, right? Right. And so Luger versus Wyndham was a whole lot of that, but the second Luger signal for the rack, the place lights up, but neither one of them did anything other than that, and the crowd just sat there versus a year earlier, Sting versus Flair, either Flair's telling the piss off or Sting's howling at him, but they're into the... Ex- it, it's not because it was a better match, per se, because Luger versus Wyndham was not a bad match. It just feels like it because the crowd sucks. But again, never do either one of these guys. Plus, you're probably a fan of cage matches. Cage matches, to me, just obstruct my vision. That's why I say what you will about the blue cage from the WWF. At least you can see inside that damn thing. When you're watching the camera angles of them fence matches... Even the Tully Blanchard versus uh, Magnum TA, it's hard to see what's going on in there unless the guy in the ring's camera's on, right? So you can see inside Mm -hmm. of it. And then it's too close. So it's like, what do you do? I have to... Uh, My rant's over. I I half agree with your rant on Luger and Wyndham, but the circumstances, TW, you have to remember the circumstances of that 91 uh, bash. Flair left, and the fans were pissed that Flair left because... Those smart fans knew that Jim Hurd ran him out. I, I didn't even know this, but they knew. Right. But some of those smart fans, those Meltzer fans, really got you know into it. That no matter what happened, they blamed Jim Hurd about it. They knew that Ric Flair was not leaving on his own accord. He was he was booted out of of WCW. So that's why Great American Bash '91 sucked. Well, let me just go. Let me go, go back to '86 for just a second, TW, since you didn't see that. You know, like I said, Gordon Soley and Bill Apter hosted this VHS tape, and they gave clips of the great ones. And Flair was defending his title 13 times in you know certain different locations. Again, Road Warrior Hawk defended it at the Philadelphia Stadium where the where the Eagles played and the Philadelphia Phillies played. Again, packed house there. Was great, and then of course, eventually he would lose it at the end of the Bash tour in a cage, which you hate, the fence cage, to the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, for his third reign. So you know, people left happy after a tour like that. You know, when you get to the point of like, let's say '87, and then to that first pay per view part of '88, that the business model changes because now, again, if you keep it up with the Joneses of what Vince McMahon is doing. That's hard to do because Vince McMahon's already he had he's already three years ahead of marketing. He's already three years ahead of his business model because he's not a territory anymore. The WWE is not a territory. They don't even consider themselves an East Coast based territory. They are a national nationwide uh, territory. They are a nationwide company touring in the Carolinas, even though they didn't. They really. If you ever noticed that those years, those NWA years where they were, you know, packing them houses, WWF never toured the Carolinas because they knew that they would not draw. Or, but they, Atlanta. or Atlanta. You're right. Absolutely right. But that's the that was the perception 
and it's sold because of the syndication and all that stuff. So that's the way Vince McMahon was. But now we get into your talk, your talk like 19, after 1987, Reflectionite, we, we've already talked about the war games. If, you, if you're a real Reflectionite, you know that we've already talked about the war games of 1987. We don't need to harp on that. But Dusty Rhodes is trying to outdo what he did. The, you know, you could tell. 85 was the first one. You can never top the first one, but the sequel was good with Ric Flair's 13 title defenses in 86. 1987, you had the war games. So, you know, T.W., how do you top, you know, all those three that were, you know, it was successful in, in terms of touring. It was successful in terms of people paying their hard-earned money, asses and seats. Now you have to venture into the pay-per-view game because those three was closed circuit. So you can actually, you know, you can live with that excuse that, you know, closed circuit is not a, the technology for closed circuit television is not a premium and nobody knows where to go. You know, how many movie theaters can you find that is playing the NWA Great American Bash? You can't find it. But now you got the pay-per-view in 1988, Baltimore, Maryland, the Baltimore Arena, the first pay-per-view of the Great American Bash. I believe it was July 7th of 1988, TW. And Dusty Rose has got to top himself again. And we can go, and the funny thing about this one, TW, it depends on how you perceive this. Technically, money-wise, I don't know if it was a success. Because if you talk to somebody like Tully Blanchard, he tells you point blank. You know how you get, like, let's say a million buys for a pay-per-view even? I'm just trying to, you know, give you that number, TW. You want to get a million pay-per-view buys, uh, WCW? You want to get a million pay-per-view buys, Ted Turner? Put Tully and Arn against the Road Warriors. That gives you a billion buys. Well, what did Tully and Arn do in that year, particular year? They faced, they opened the show with Sting against Nikita Koloff. So that kind of looks like a bummer, TW. I, and no disrespect to Tang, Sting and Nikita Koloff. But you put the Bro Wars in another gimmick match, the Tower of Doom. Three cages. This is, there's no David Arquette. There's no, there's no NWA title at the top where people are fighting to go up. You're fighting to go down. So TW... I understand that Doug Rose is trying to top himself, but I think he overthought this one, and maybe that's why it wasn't a greater success than it could have been on pay-per-view. What say you, TW? It's, it's overthinking everything, and you just said it. Sully Blanchard told him what the money match was, and then they don't do it. Um, I watched, I want to say it was 91, again, with the, it's the same, it's the same, Clash of the Champions field before not, it was a not, clash. 90, 91 is your killer year. I can see I can tell no, you. No, I 90 was the one that felt like clash, but 91, the opening match is PN News and Bobby Eaton versus Austin and I, I don't think it's Pillman. It's Austin mm. and somebody in a scaffold match. And you're just like, what? So now mm. you're just throwing scaffolds out there to throw scaffolds out there. Mm -hmm. You know, Road Warriors versus Midnight Express was scaffold was born out of frustration. Like, these guys want to get their hands on him and kill him, and they can't. So now we're having a scabble match, which, which, let's be honest, it's a dumb idea. And if no mm -hmm. one ever does another scabble match again, it's a win for everybody. I watched the scabble match live in Lima, Ohio, with Travis Volts about five years ago. You, my buddies were scared shitless on that scaffold, And it wasn't even as high as the one in, in WCW. But you, I, think, I think what probably happened is they were so worried about the show they didn't, the matches were secondary to it. Does that mm -hmm. make any sense? 
They decide yeah. it doesn't matter what we do, it's the spectacle. And mm-hmm. that's why I think you're probably looking at because if if you're not into WWF, WrestleMania two isn't WrestleMania worthy. It's George Wells getting DDT by Jake the Snake like it's Saturday morning superstars. It's mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's not that Battle Royals garbage. It's in three different cities. It's not their best work. So that's that's eighty six, eighty seven, awesome show, but still had killer bees versus whoever for a nothing match. It's almost like they're just trying to fill it out. So as I ramble, maybe that's what Dusty thought. If you put Tully and Arm versus Road Warriors, you got all your eggs in one basket. But if you spread them out, you have you can have like nineteen ninety was eleven matches, five of which were title, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obvious they think more is more when really less is more. I think you know again we're going to talk about NXT Great American Bash too, but I think the thing I like about the Great American or the NXT. The takeovers are usually four or five matches, and every single one of them has a story, and every single one of them delivers, and mm-hmm. except for this last one. This last one had stupid two women tag teams that no one cared about wrestling each other before. It's like, no, now you're starting to lose it because there's no – do that on Wednesday or Tuesday night, right? The, okay. the takeover should be big, right? And it shouldn't be – it should be a blow-off, like you said, with Starcades, right? The Takeovers used to happen every three months, four months, whatever the case may be. So these these great American bashes, obviously they're tinkering with it, toying with it, trying to figure out what's what and what works and what doesn't. And, again, it's their first pay-per-view version of it. I think they tried to spread out so they had talent everywhere instead of having shorter or longer, better matches instead of 11, 12, fat, quick. You know, Sting versus Nikita was... Uh, uh, for Chang, oh, that was ninety-one. So they mm-hmm. also did an eighty-eight. No, eighty-eight. They were, it was Sting and Koloff tag teaming against Tully and Arm oh, for the tag oh. team titles. Oh, I, okay, when you said it, I was thinking the chain match. That was ninety-one. Yeah, again, ninety-one's not good. But, but exactly, <laughs> I know we're going all over the place. But here's the thing: I, I never ever Sting's first title ring was. And by the way. His first one is actually NWA World Heavyweight Champion. I didn't know this until today doing Wikipedia. Sting mm-hmm. was the NWA Champion in WCW. He was the NWA Champion in TNA. He's the only guy to be NWA, WCW, and TNA World Champions. Obviously, no one can ever do that again unless Eldis comes out of nowhere and invents a WCW. But uh, bottom line is um, Sting won that belt in July. They built up to him. This was the changing of the guard. This was obviously a year later. They're putting Flair out to pasture. So that this was their idea. Sting lost that belt later back to Flair at a house show. So in East, Ru- like in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So so basically, Sting got warriored by Hogan. Flair got Hogan by Hogan, right? Mm-hmm, right? Flair did the Sting what Hogan did to Warrior. Get on their reign, made it end. Michaels did it to Brett. And then Brett left, and Michaels blames Brett for leaving, making his title reign suck as far as money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's crazy to me. And, and, and to answer your question, I would say, God, this is going to hurt to say this out loud. Say it. I say would it. Say, I would say Vince was probably right in hindsight to put the belt back on Hogan and take it off of Warrior. The only good thing was at least he had him get screwed by Savage for Slaughter to get it, and it wasn't Hogan beating Warrior to take it back, which would have mm-hmm. just diminished everything they did with Warrior beating Hogan, because that was a pretty big moment. That that 
say what you will about the match. That was a big, big moment. And for whatever reason, and we all know wrestling business ebbs and flows, goes up and down, whatever. I think Flair taking the belt from Sting, however, I don't know the business part of it. I think it was more of that mentality is why Crockett went under and Vince stayed over. Vince does the hard choices when he has to. WCW has that old, this is how it's got to be. You know, Dusty was guilty of that, too, that old booking. and Old school booking, it. yeah, it, it catches they, up to you. Yep, and they don't want change. And, and I, I, again, I don't know how long I was before I figured out. I think I started hearing that term, uh, annual board meeting for NWA, and then mm-hmm. figured out, okay, every year, Flair, you're going to lose the belt to this guy, and you're going to beat it back a month later, and then that's it. And it, if you look at it in hindsight, it's blatant, but you don't know that in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think someone booked Sting to win that belt at the Great American Bash, only to lose it at a house show to, to Flair months later. And then did Flair vacate it? Yeah, he quit. He quit WCW in 91. no, no. no. No, it was it wasn't. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, trust, they trust had the vacated. You said the learning. Vader is champion. No, 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 that, no. Trust me. You oh, said no, the learning Japan. trick. It went to Japan. The next lineage picks up in Japan. Right. And that's well, where that international no, title comes. No, along. Flair took his belt, the big gold belt, to WWF right. in '91. Right. right. Then, heard paid Flair the money that he was owed to him. The, the $25,000 with interest because that, that gold belt meant something. Right. And then he got it back. And then that relationship with WCW and then New, New, New Japan and then NWA started to kick in. And that's why I went to Japan on that right. end. So I, but it was all get, Japanese champions after Flair vacated it. Yeah, it was Muda and Chono and stuff like that. But it but they had to pay Flair first, that $25,000 with interest. But anyway, let's get it. Let's go back into the 88 again. You know, you answered a good question that, you know, sometimes – Less is more, but 88, because that was their first pay-per-view, they did more is more, and that's why the Tower of Doom was the biggest, you know. It was the biggest kind of attraction, but it didn't live up to the hype. So then when you have Flair against Luger, and I've, and again, we've harped on this, and I will say this, and, you know, TW, you, you are a Luger man. Let, let's focus on Luger in 88, not 91. I know you're going to go into your 91 rant again. But, again, the circumstances of Luger winning in 91 was because Flair was out and he did not properly, and I'm quoting it, properly pass the torch to Luger where that win in 91 felt smaller. It felt like he cheated Luger out of the out of the, the payoff that he so richly deserved. Let's go back to 88 for just one second. Luger against Flair. Again, hindsight is 2020. If you're reading the After Mags, Reflection Nights, and TW, we know that when it's NWA purposes, the two men that everybody has said, hands down, there is no debate. The, the, the men to lead wrestling in the 90s, there was two names in the NWA, and you know this. It was Sting, and it was Luger. 1988, Great American Bash, the summer tradition that they're trying to do, was the perfect venue the perfect storm, the perfect opportunity, TW, for him to get that, and they do the schmas. They do all. They do the old school mentality of, well, it's it's more. We can get suckers to pay more money for him to chase the bell instead of giving the payoff on that on a pay per view audience fan base saying, well, I paid forty bucks. 
I don't remember the the price in '88. I'm gonna say forty bucks. I paid forty bucks, and I don't think people felt happy paying forty bucks to see Luger not at least become the NWA Heavyweight Champion. So maybe, in my you know humble opinion, it turned away fans. Like I'm not gonna, I'm I'm getting this because again, it's Starcade. If you were a sucker again to pay forty bucks for Starcade in December, Luger didn't win the belt either there. So you felt cheated, and you felt like, why am I wasting my money not getting at least what I'm booked? Am I right, wrong, or you you see it a Which, different way? Was was the bash the one where Luger had the match stop for bleeding? Because I know that happened in Baltimore. Baltimore '88. Um, that's the one I'm talking about right now. And then how did he lose in in Starcade? Uh, Flair had his foot on the ropes, and the referee didn't see it, so it was kind of like a, a schmaz finish. But it's funny because I'm going to go to 91 because <laughs> I knew you was in 88. In 88, the guy was fire, right? Like furious when he that match was stopped with the bleeding and, and and it looked real. Like I bought it. So mm-hmm. as you were saying that, it made me think. I wonder if Luger winning that match against Yokozuna at, at SummerSlam was a rib on that, right? It seems like he, you know what I mean, like. He won the match by count out and then celebrated like he won the world title of the balloon spot. I remember leaving there furious. So to answer your question, yeah, I paid money to go see my guy become the WWF world champion per- in person. And he mm-hmm. wins by count out after a six month Lex Express tour or two months because it started in July. And like, what? And then he never did anything else after that. He never got a. He did the double uh, Royal Rumble win. But but so now 91. If you watch Luger in this match, it, it, he just seems disinterested. And at the very end, after he beats Wyndham in a weird way, you said you said that it was uh, Harley distracting him. Harley didn't distract him. Curtis Hughes did. He came over to that door, and Wyndham looked at him like, what are you doing here? And then Luger went over to Harley, and Harley said, that, that finish, surprised if that was booked for Flair, and they just mm-hmm. still did it with Wyndham, it would have made more sense versus Flair because he couldn't beat Flair in 88 twice. And now in 91, finally, he knew what was missing. He needed someone like Harley, right? It makes mm-hmm. more sense. But to do it against Wyndham, you've beaten Wyndham a million times. Why, why do you need Harley to tell you to power drive? But it's up. And I saw this before, but it just caught my eye again when I watched it earlier. He looks down at Wyndham and goes, fucker, or something like that. Like, it's probably motherfucker, right? And mm-hmm. I thought, there's no way he's mad at Wyndham, but he's probably thinking, I just won the world title finally. Like, shit, right? Because it wasn't against Flair. The right. fans were barely into it. And like I said, I understand the fans being mad about Flair, the whole situation. Uh, but they knew going in it was Flair versus Wyndham for, I think, two weeks at least. It wasn't, It was. It, they at least had a heads up. It wasn't like Wyndham just walked out in place of flair and no one knew it like card subject to change because i remember being bummed out like what why is he wrestling Wyndham? and i also remember thinking he's gonna lose right so it's almost like him winning i'm gonna put it to hockey if the montreal canadians win the stanley cup and after the after the game i saw i don't know if that's gonna happen but if they win it there's gonna be an asterisk next to it it's gonna be the first time in 30 years that a canadian team has won the stanley cup and they're gonna win it in the season where they didn't play a regular season they did only Canada versus Canada and then the three divisions. No one traveled other than to the divisions. Luger winning that belt from Wyndham is an asterisk. A, he didn't beat a reigning champion. B, 
which it should be A, but I just said it for a second. It, it's not Flair. So you, his body language, that whole match is just son of a bitch. Like th- this was supposed to be my moment. The only thing I could relate it to for somebody, as far as how you think it's gonna feel versus how it ends up feeling, is a year ago when Drew beat Brock in an empty arena. Like you don't mm-hmm. get that same. You know what I mean? Like you don't. You don't get that payoff that you deserve in right, front of like that, ten, that, uh, that, you know, fifty thousand people. Yeah, yeah, and so, so I could, and just it just sucked for Luger, and they ended up winning the title a million more times. Um, the pop he got for beating Hogan on that first Nitro, or a week later, whatever I don't remember what the place went bananas. That was redemption for him, right? And it was Hogan. So, right. But but this stuff back then, man, the politics and all that. We're answering your question a hundred times about why Jim Crockett went under, because even though Jim sold it, even the, it's the same mentality carrying forward on WCW. It's amazing they lasted as long as they did, and the only reason they did is Ted Turner's money and the way they did those books by signing those guys with the big contracts to Time mm-hmm. Warner, not to WCW. So it's it's Ted, funny that we're we're talking Ted Turner loved of WCW yeah. instead of Great American Bash. Ted Turner loved wrestling, but you know it, it's a microcosm. That's the word I want to use. It's a microcosm with rise and fall of WCW because Great American Bash is that perfect you know perfect point of where we see wrestling going because you see that the certain things, certain changes here at TW. You talk about you know Luger not getting his the storyline actually moment. Luger didn't get his moment in '91. But actually, and this is funny, it's 2020 Wonder. You actually sold me on the finish of Luger and Barry, and that should have been Flair. That the way that Luger won that match in the cage, I close my I can close my eyes right now and picture Flair and Harley doing what he did. It would have been a better maybe summer feud going into December's uh Starcade to kind of like relive that nostalgia. If you will. And now Flair's chasing Luger. Yeah, and Flair's chasing Luger. But you know what? Flair did the right business move by going into WWF and, and picking hit, picking uh, picking on Hulk Hogan and trying to, you know, get that WrestleMania moment. But again, that's again, that's a different politics for another day. So but you he know, gave us the best Royal Rumble ever. Of course. He, he absolutely that was one of the greatest Royal Rumbles ever to this day. Still is undisputed top uh, number one all the time. Let's go into these 90s uh, Great American Bashes because now, as you said with 91, and you said it, you know, wholeheartedly all the time here, TW, you know, we can even rewind. I can, I can say rewind your, your 91 rant when I'm going to talk about the mid-90s here. It didn't feel big. It, you know, 92 didn't feel big. And it, 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 they cut it off. There was no 93 bash. There was no 94 Great American Bash. It came back under the vision of Eric Bischoff trying to, you know, bring back the nostalgia of the Great American Bash. And 95 was Ric Flair against Randy Savage. And I remember that vividly because that was the legend versus, yep, that was what it was That's supposed to be. That's the cover of 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why people were pissed. We didn't get the cover. And everything you just said is, is the truth right there. That was the the way Luger won. That was supposed to be Flair. So it make no sense at all for Barry to, to do what he did and to play it off. He played Ric Flair as a Hollywood actor. But anyway, in the mid-90s, TW, again, you know, Bischoff tried to revive the Great American Bash with, in 95. And, you know. I was there. Of course he was there. That's why I wanted to bring. For Arn Anderson. <laughs> you did a beer run for Arn Anderson, but also you got to enjoy 
Randy Savage versus Ric Flair, and I believe you know he got the, his revenge for Angelo Poffo, his Angelo father. Yeah, Angelo was there. So TW, I think they were at, they were still at the Baltimore, or was it Dayton? No, O'Hare Arena in Dayton, O'Hare, Ohio. In Dayton, Ohio. So you know, I guess Bischoff did not want to go back. You know, did not want to be caught in that bubble of the Baltimore trappings. I guess so. Dayton, Ohio is. Is symbolic as Americana, the heart of the the what is it called? The heartbeat of the of, of America, Dayton, Ohio. Is that what it's called? It's it's what Macho Man said to the locker room. Rough neighborhood. Rough <laughs> That's neighborhood what it was rough neighborhood that broke the silence. No one's talking in this locker room. He looks up and goes, "Rough neighborhood," and it oh, was wow. rough. Well, you know what? Let's not even talk about. Let's not even talk about ninety-five matches. Actually, what is your fa- well besides the beer run for Arn Anderson? What 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 is the your great TW memories of '95 Bash at date? What were you doing? What what was your job there? So I didn't end up getting booked, but so if you look at the results, they got actually the main event was live before the pay per view, and mm-hmm. that's where I almost got used. At the end of that main event, Hogan and Vader were getting pulled apart, and. They wanted to use me, Scott Demore, Canyon, Rhino, and and uh, Thumper Lancaster. Thumper Lancaster was in a squash match. He left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Demore supposedly got his arm broke by Craig Pittman, so that left me, Rhino, and Canyon. And they were like, "That's not enough of us," so they didn't use us. And the show ended with Hogan and Vader getting pulled apart by who? Sting, Macho Man, and Bulldog. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't Bulldog. I don't know who the third not guy was. Um, but they got pulled apart, and I looked at Rhino and go, hey, man, that's only three dudes. We could have done this. Granted, all three of them are twice our size, and it would have made more sense, you know, mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> but um, Pillman versus Alex Wright was on that one. Uh, the Renegade versus um, Arn Anderson, where he gave him that stiff-ass splash from the top mm-hmm. rope. I think Arn was still wearing the belt. I think they okay. tried to emulate the Honky Tonk Man Ultimate Warrior title change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I didn't watch a lot of it because, um, was, was, why isn't Luger on this show? Cause he was still in the WWF in 95. Oh, this is 95. That's why. Yeah. I don't know, man. Durr. See, you uh, go on a beer run with Ar- for Arn Anderson, you're drinking the beer. Right. No, they turned me down. They said they stopped selling intermission, but it was just a cool, like my favorite memory of it was, was just being behind the scenes. And that was my first full year in the wrestling business so i was 20 almost 22 depending on the date mm-hmm. um i don't think that 85 was july 7th because 90 was july 7th so unless leap year made july 7th come again with june 18th see june mm-hmm. american bash in june so i literally was in the business one year still 21 years old um but just being behind the scenes, I was over by where the nine. Remember the one nine hundred numbers where you could call and talk to wrestlers. I was right there, and I would watch wrestlers go sit down and talk. Buff Bagwell went and sit and talk. Scary Sherry. I was over by production. Um, and the funny thing about that arena was, I think I said this before. The arena is very small. They just tore it down last year. It was, you know how, you know how it only it only holds circle? like. It only holds 6, like 6,000 yeah, 6, people. And that's where I learned <clears throat> the fish lens. The, uh, so when I went out and sat in the audience to watch a couple things early before I went back to the back, mm-hmm. um, I was like, man, this place is tiny. But then when you're in the back and you're looking at the production on the TV screens, they mm-hmm. use what they call a fisheye lens. 
that makes it look bigger. Right. And it looks so much bigger on TV than it was in person, which is usually the opposite, right? Absolutely. TV makes it look smaller than in person, but they used the fisheye lens. But uh, it was just, it was cool to see all, like, everybody just hanging out and being regular people, right? It was just like a regular indie show. And, and like I said, mm-hmm. that's where Hulkamania died for me. This, this, I just told this story the other day. So if you want to know my favorite moment, I'm sitting in a locker room. Rhino's mm-hmm. next to me. We're looking around. I got Macho Man to my left. Sting and Bagwell are right across me. Bagwell's asking me and Terry who we are, Rhino, who we are. And all of a sudden, you hear the footprints coming. And it's Hulk Hogan. He, he ducks his head under the door because he's, he's taller than the doorway, legit. Wearing cowboy boots. It's We got there at 11 a.m., so this is maybe noon. Mm-hmm. Ducks his head in. Everyone looks his way, and he goes... I just wanted to see what the fuck was going on down here with a beer in his hand. And I turned to Rhino and I go, it's over. And he goes, what? I go, Hulkamania. I go, this dude told me to say my prayers, eat my vitamins, drink my milk, and he's got a beer at noon and he just cussed at us. I go, it's over. Everything he told us is a lie. I've been living a lie. For, for 11 years, I've been living a lie. Ne- never meet your heroes. That's that's right, the right. old saying. Never meet your heroes. And you'd be like, you, you felt cheated. And, and the funny thing about the mid-90s Bischoff-run Great American Bashes is, number one, it was in June. So he shifted up a month. So every from 95 to 2000, which was the last uh, Great American Bashes, they were all in June and whatever calendar month that was. So in 96 which is a, a very pivotal point of the wrestling business. This was one, one month before Bash at the Beach. This was one month before Hogan, your hero, you know, officially Hulkamania dies and the NWO lives and, and breathes new life into the Hulk Hogan character in 96. But in 96, a very pivotal uh, spot happened. And I think that was in Baltimore. I think they went back to Baltimore in 96, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, yep. That was where... That was where we saw Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And they broke the, the, the kayfabe walls, TW. And forget about, you know, Mongo McMichael, uh, you know, betraying uh, Kevin Green and joining the Four Horsemen. That wasn't, that, that wasn't as big as it needed to be. Maybe for storyline purposes, it felt big to people, but it didn't feel big to me. I didn't care about Luger against the Giant for the WCW Heavyweight Championship because the Giant wasn't, wasn't that dude. It was really all about one spot. It was about five minutes of this promo. Bischoff talking to Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and the questions that, you know, Eric Bischoff had to ask to protect him and the WCW name and trademark brand. So this way they wouldn't, they would, you know, throw out that lawsuit that WWF was throwing at WCW in 96 because Vince McMahon felt that they were, you know, infringing on copyrighted trademarks of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash using their characteristics characteristics of Diesel and Razor Ramon. Of course, that got thrown out. We not we don't have to talk about that. But again, it's so pivotal. I think he that, had to stop using the, the fake accent, though, didn't he? Yeah, he he eventually he did that himself, but he wow. he didn't have to. But it was but that five minutes TW was so pivotal that I think more people remember that, in my opinion, than any match. I remember that, and it's it's 96, where Kevin Nash, well, well, Scott Hall punches Bischoff in the stomach, Kevin Nash grabs him, does the jackknife powerbomb on a table, and now war has started. War is declared on WCWTW. Why? 
I guess you could. You even said it a couple of minutes ago. Less is more. All these matches meant squat. The storyline of the Four Horsemen meant squat. Less is more is pivotal in that five minutes. Tw agree, disagree, or have a different take? Absolutely, because they were dying before Hall and Nash got there. Mm -hmm. Dying. So, well, Hogan had been there for a few years at this point. Yeah, at least a couple. Mm -hmm. That wasn't received well. Be it because he's too long in the tooth. He looked skinny as shit when he got there. Mm -hmm. He was corny with all the Baywatch and Thunder and Paradise stuff. And also, I still think there's a contingent of Southern fans who just did not like Hulk Hogan because he's the enemy. It'd mm -hmm. be, it would be like Vince walking in, getting instant heat down there as a heel, but legit heat, like stabbed on your way to the ring and batteries thrown at you, not, we want to boo you. So mm -hmm. when Hogan turns and everyone throws those cups in the ring and all that stuff, that's heat, man. You don't get that every heel turn. You know, for a while there in the 90s, you got it every week because fans were idiots. Right. Um, just a couple <clears throat> weeks ago, was it the Islanders? The Islanders won a game in overtime, and your, your nice New York fans started chucking water bottles and beer cans on the ice to the team that won. And the commentators are like, why are they doing that? And one guy almost tripped on one. And, and one player swatted one out oh, of the air. I can answer that, and I'm not defending them, but because they thought they thought that was the last game at the Nassau Coliseum because they're moving. So they just wanted to trash the arena because they knew that it they were not going to. They ended up losing game yeah, seven. They knew they weren't oh. going to win. They weren't going to win against Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay to go to the Stanley Cup final. So they just wanted to trash it to say uh, goodbye. That makes, see, you know what? I'm going to let my buddies know. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. That's New York for you. You expect that in Philly, not New York. That's love right there. But anyway, go ahead, T. <laughs> no, but no, I'm just saying, like, Hogan turning heel gave those Southern fans, even though by then they're a national, global, whatever, mm -hmm. but then people down in Atlanta and, and the Carolinas and Baltimore, because Baltimore was a NWA staple, man. Like, you you mentioned Baltimore even when stuff wasn't even in Baltimore because there was so much stuff in Baltimore that mm -hmm. you just know that's that's. Carolina's Baltimore, uh, I mean, those are Crockett territories. And, and you know, I don't know if that's where Hogan turned. But I didn't like that it was Great American Bash in June and Bash at the Beach in July. Because I always felt like Bash at the Beach, mm -hmm. A, replaced Bash, and B, mm -hmm. was another version of it. Um, right. And then the WWF ended up calling it The Bash, and I think that was the last one. They didn't even do it no more after that until they brought it back for NXT. But just what's what's wrong with you? You're not calling it the series. It's still Survivor Series, even though there's some that don't even have Survivor Series matches. Mm -hmm. By the way, that used to be the greatest pay-per-view until they ruined it. Royal Rumble. Everything gets ruined. Everything gets yeah. ruined. No matter what, everything gets ruined. The Great American Bash's vision of Dusty Rose got ruined because they moved it to June. Uh, Royal Rumble will get ruined because, you know, it will get it ruined. It already got ruined when it became the whoever wins becomes the number one contender. The only thing that makes it better is the thing that I hate most about the WWE is that there's multiple champions that could be chosen from. So mm -hmm. that gives you six possible winners instead of the obvious one. But right. You knew every year Hogan, Austin, or Warrior were winning that thing because you knew that was the match they were setting up. And I mean, specifically, you knew the mm -hmm. Warrior was winning that one. You knew Austin was winning that one. You knew Hogan was winner, whatever, because... They were setting up the match because they had one championship and they had one guy who was being groomed for it. So it just ruined it. And But what would save the Rumble for me was is the, the debuts. 
That's what mm-hmm. saves it is who's going to show up, whether it be an old guy coming back, an <laughs> old guy coming back for one night only and doing well, or someone like AJ coming out and popping the crowd because they're like, whoa, he didn't yeah. have to go to NXT first. But mm-hmm. the Great American Bash, moving it to June doesn't bother me as much. June actually makes more sense for Dusty's vision because but not June 18th because it ain't even summer no more. You know, it's summer right. and June 20 something, but June to November is a six month window. November to June is another, you know, mm-hmm. December, January, February. So that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is you had the great American bash and you have the bash at the beach, the, the bash at the beach. I'm telling you forever. I thought was the great American bash and they mm-hmm. called it the bash at the beach. Cause this one was outdoors. It, it, it was, it, it was the extension. One. Well, right? th- again, it's almost it, like, WrestleMania backlash, and then they right. just shorten it to backlash. Right. So that that's what they try to do. So you, you can understand that. And like I said, the 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 five minutes that Nash and Hall with Eric Bischoff was more bigger than that particular yeah. Great American Bash in '96. And, and of course, we, another reason. Another reason why is what I've said all along. These cards. Mm-hmm. I, this is Ray likes to say this all the time. Match card. I hate. Mm-hmm. It. I don't know why I hate it. It bothers me. It's, but the mm-hmm. match cards, if you look at them, they're not that good ever. No, they're not. Like, every one of them has got matches like Dusty, or not Dusty, Dutch Mantel versus Scott Furness or whatever, Doug Furness, whatever. Like, who cares? Like, mm-hmm. it should be blood feuds on those shows. It should not be. You know what? There, there's like, not there's not that many memorable things in the Great American Bash, especially in the mid-90s, except for maybe Diamond Dallas Page against Macho Man in their trilogy series. There's nothing really memorable. More of the memorable stuff is in the 80s because I remember Flair against Rhodes. I remember the War Games. I remember the Tower of Doom. I remember Luger and Flair and Luger getting job, uh, well, getting his victory taken away from him. That's memorable stuff for a hardcore fan. It, the renegade the against Arn Anderson, yeah. The renegade against Arn Anderson is not memorable. I just remember it because Hogan tried to shove renegade down my fucking throat, and it didn't work. And like you said, your hero Hulk Hogan drinking a beer is more memorable behind the scenes than Hogan doing anything in the bash, except bash at the beach when he became NWO Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So that, but that was not even a Great American Bash memory. That was a bash at the beach memory. So. Let, let's close this out, TW. And, you know, we don't have to talk about this, but, you know, after WCW closed its doors in 2001, I think a lot of people, you know, Vince McMahon was caught in a quandary. You know, when you have all this talent, when you're owning wrestling, people actually were trying to hold on because, you know, more people, because when WCW closed its doors, Literally, the Southern wrestling fans said, fuck it, I don't want to watch wrestling anymore. They actually just turned off, tuned off, and they don't care about, you know, I never liked WWF in the beginning. I ain't going to watch it just because of any, uh, just because my guys are there. They they stay true to that word. They don't watch it. So what did Vince McMahon have to do? He, he was caught in a quandary. He thought bringing some tradition from that organization into his home, so to speak, would be, a you know, would be good. It'd be good for money. It'd be good for business. Like so he brought the Great American Bash, but it felt like backlash. It felt like a hell in a cell. It felt like money in the bank. It just didn't feel big because the big pay-per-views of the WWE calendar is WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and the Royal Rumble. No order, but you already know your four top-tier pay-per-views. 
Great American Bash was not part of that. What say UTW? It could have been because the King of the Ring is pretty much all but dead now, and it could have mm-hmm. replaced King of the Ring because King of the Ring was the fifth one. You know, and why they ever got rid of that, I don't know, because that pay per view made people. It made Bret it com- Hart. It, it comes. It comes. It comes back in ebbs and flows. It depends on when they need it. Right. No, I know they're bringing it. The rumors are bringing it back now. Now they're bringing a cross promotion, uh, all three brands tournament, which to me, if you do that, do it with the guys that aren't being used. Have Xavier Woods win it. You know, somebody like that. Don't have it. Randy Orton versus Drew versus and have these stupid finishes where, you know, no one's getting pinned clean. You know, okay. um, Matter of fact, I want to say this. That 1990 pay-per-view was Undertaker versus Lex Luger was the match before Luger or before Sting and Flair. Mm-hmm. Beautiful finish. Paulie grabs uh, Lex, breaks away from him. Mm-hmm. And then, actually, no. Luger's on the rope for the heart punch. Remember, Mark Callis' move was the heart punch. Yeah. He goes to hit him. Luger just boots him in the face, turns around and grabs Paulie, knocks him out, turns around again and just hits a clothesline. On Callis, pins him one, two, three. That's a good finish. An out-of-nowhere finish. It it looks like Luger overcame the odds or whatever. Doesn't bury the Undertaker because he didn't tap out to the uh, torture rack or the pile driver or whatever. But it was a, mm-hmm. it was a good finish. And it was a good match. And, and so um, I don't know what made me want to say that just before we moved on. But the Great American Bash, you could have either – what I don't like about it now, because I know eventually we're going to talk about NXT – actually talking about it now makes it actually okay. I don't like that last year it was a regular NXT show just called Great American Bash. That's what the one coming up is, too. I'd rather it be TakeOver Great American Bash, right? Because Mm -hmm. it being a regular Tuesday night show, you're still going to have the stuff that's Saturday morning superstar. Well, AEW fans can answer your question why did they put it on Tuesday? Because it was a ratings bump. Because they needed to make a Tuesday feel special, TW. Right. That's why they brought right. the Great American Bash back they, for NXT purposes. They, but last year was two nights, so it was mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, I think. Yeah, something I think like it was that. Finn, Finn Balor was the Thursday night one, and I think he mm-hmm. won the title. Um, did Finn beat? Last no. year? No, it was Keith Lee winning, I think. Or, or Karen Cross. Yeah, something like that. I forget what it was. I thought it was Finn Balor because Finn Balor had that belt for almost a year. No, it was uh, it was Keith Lee against Adam Cole for the uh, NXT title, and maybe Keith Lee just, won it. Maybe it was just Finn Balor's debut. It could have been, but that was a but that it was, was two a... nights, and mm-hmm. and I like that they made it two nights at least. But this one coming up is just one night. It's got big match feel to it. Um, and since we're dogging on Great American Bash, to be fair, uh, to be fair, is also glorified. Um, Clash of the Champions, because the difference with Clash of the Champions versus these is Clash of the Champions doesn't have every title defended on it. It's usually the U.S. tags and maybe the world title of the U.S. or maybe the TV, whereas Starcade and Great American Bash had all of them. So that's better. But you can trim the fat and get rid of all these Dutch Mantel versus Doug Furness and all that. Had that as a pre-show. Uh, don't air it, whatever. Um, let me ask you a question real quick, because I wanted to ask you this earlier. So... You said earlier the pay-per-view was 40 bucks. I remember them being 29.99 forever. And that was still a lot of money for the 80s and 90s. I know, think was, get- I think was, I think it was 39 maybe 29 or 39.95. Yeah, then it yeah. went to like 49.95 and at mm-hmm. one point WrestleMania was like 80. So yes, something like that. So let me ask you this. So at what point 
do you think it gets to? This is where I think it, it hurts Gate. I don't think it's ever going to hurt WrestleMania because, A, good luck getting a ticket, and, B, people are going to that because they want to go to that. Mm-hmm. But something like SummerSlam is in Detroit. It's at the Auburn Hills. That's an hour ride for me without traffic. So now it's an hour and a half to two hours with traffic, and the ride home's even worse because everyone's leaving at the same time versus getting their, you know, spread out because somebody mm-hmm. came early to tailgate, blah, blah, blah. So if I pay $100 for a ticket and my buddy pays 100 for a ticket and my other buddy pays 100 for a ticket because there's three of us, so that's 300 bucks. It's an hour to two-hour car ride, concessions, all that. Mm-hmm. We do this. Where does it just say, you know what, let's just all throw in 25 bucks and watch it on TV? Like, how much of that do you think happens? You know what? I, I think more fans want to pay for the experience. And if you know how big that pay-per-view is, and SummerSlam is going to – and for your SummerSlam or just any pay-per-view question, let's use SummerSlam right now because that's going to be the next big event for WWE. It's in Las Vegas. It's in the stadium where the Las Vegas Raiders are playing, and you can fill 50000 easy. So you want to pay for the experience of being in the and stadium. And it's going to be some people's first time going somewhere since COVID. Right. And that's, right. that's, a, yeah. good, that's a good answer, too. So – I think the uh, you could use Great American Bash that 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 theory. Like, would you want to pay? Let's say, would you want to like drive all the way to Florida for Full Sail or the or the Capital Wrestling Center, wherever the WWE does their show, to be a couple of hundred in NXT? Even though they give out a good product, it's five big matches. Like you said, it's storyline driven, and you know, you it feels big. But is it worth my time or? Should I just watch it on USA Network or should I just, you know, pay it on Peacock 10 bucks a month? I think that's a great that's a great analogy of I'll just watch it on Peacock. But if you're on the stadium front like SummerSlam or Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, you're going to think twice. I'll pay extra as long as the experience is good. I don't know about the card because sometimes the card is, you know, it's a hit or miss. But I think the experience of meeting people and from all over the country supersedes a bullshit card. I don't know. That's just my humble opinion. And that's what Dusty thought in 88, 85. <laughs> so, and it I didn't work. I'll tell you this. From my experience, I would go to NXT TakeOver, mm-hmm. right? Because that's, that's non-commercial, right? It's, it's, it's a pay-per-view, okay. basically. Okay. I I'd have a hard time going to NXT on Tuesday Night Live mm-hmm. after after finally having been to a Raw and a SmackDown. It is an awkward feeling being there live versus being at home. Mm-hmm. Because for one, Raw is to some point using guys as job guys, right? They got Ricochet's Tom Zink. Like he's gonna wrestle, it's gonna be a good match, but you know he's losing, right? And then every right. now and again he does win. But for the most part, you got a handful of guys that lose. Um, you been to one live, Raw or SmackDown? Yes. So you know when they come to the ring and they go to commercial, they mm-hmm. just sit in the ring in the dark for two minutes. And then when it's live and they go to the, the, the commercial during the commercial or during mm-hmm. the match, they don't, mm-hmm. it ain't that blatant. They don't just go cut and go to your corners. But you see the difference in the match like someone mm-hmm. told them we're a commercial and they do a rest hold and or right. they'll do a bump into a rest hold so that when it comes back on, they're in a rest hold. And mm-hmm. that's weird to me. And not hearing commentating doesn't help either. Right. But 
I would go to NXT um, TakeOver because it would feel more like a big atmosphere thing. Mm-hmm. NXT, that Great American Bash thing, I wouldn't go to because it's going to have commercials, and they're going to have that, all right, we're a commercial, sit in the dark in the corner, and it's just weird to me, and it's long. Like, those two-minute commercials are long. Right. Well, you know, now with the commercials, TW, they do picture-in-picture picture sometimes, so right. you can't... Yeah, during you, the match. Yeah. Right, during the match. So this way, it, they might still do rust holes, TW, but... You know what? Let's close this out. Like you said, you do. You would not go to an NXT Great American Bash, even though that Triple H. I, I would. You know, let's close this out right. I mean, Triple H wants to acknowledge the nostalgia of the Great American Bash. Of course, why not pimp that name out? You know, he, he they already pimped out Starcade as a house show, and that that's stupid. People want Halloween Havoc because there's an October, but and they don't they want to use it in Carolina. Though, don't they do it in the neck of the woods that it was they did that one year i don't remember if they did that every year so it's hard to say they did i don't think they did it last year no that's again with covid they didn't they do did it, it but they did it for like two years in a row yeah but i one cody and dustin so that's years ago yeah that that's the years but again it just shows you they don't they don't uh cherish it they don't want to respect it or and they don't that- it could well it wasn't a paper it was just a special it was just a, it was but just what a if special. no one showed up what if no one showed up they turned off the lights so i can't tell i can't i can't right. answer your question so but again the old saying that Vince Mc, if Vince McMahon didn't create it he doesn't nurture it so he right. didn't create great american bash reflectionites so he doesn't nurture the great american bash triple h is trying to nurture the the great american bash tw you talked about it last year Adam Cole, Keith Lee for the it was title for title it was the North American Championship. Keith Lee had the North American title against Adam Cole being the longest reigning NXT champion. It was title for title, and of course Keith Lee came out and you know they they're already fucking up Keith Lee's career right now. And I don't want to get into the politics there, but it was it felt big enough. It beat AEW Dynamite in the ratings for that particular two week window. But you said at TW, you'd rather it be on Peacock or the WWE Network as a full takeover with no commercials. Close out, give your final thoughts of, can NXT bring any nostalgia to the Great American Match? Can it be nurtured under the umbrella of Triple H and under the umbrella of NXT? Let's close that out. A- absolutely. And let me just qualify what I mean. If, if NXT Great American Match came to Detroit, I'd go. Okay. I meant I wouldn't drive the full sale to watch it down there. Versus Understand. watching it on TV. Um, a regular NXT house show, I would go. NXT live on Tuesday night, I would feel like, yeah, I would be I would be underwhelmed, I think. Especially two hours on a Tuesday mm-hmm. night, right? But to answer your question, absolutely. Because the one show I look forward to every single year for NXT the most is War Games. And it's different without the Undisputed Era in it. I just it think will be. the first... They just own it, and I even didn't, like, Travis didn't like the three-team concept. That's my least favorite, but they still had an awesome audience. Mm -hmm. That might have been one of the best ones. I didn't like the concept. I don't like the predictability of um, the heels always win the coin toss, so it's always two against one uh, Mm -hmm. heels. I think just do it where two guys come out every time. You know, two guys going to be at the upper hand and two guys get in there and you can change it that way. But or just leave it the way it is and just for two hours, suspend your disbelief. Um, but I think. I don't know how much Triple H control 
is NXT because you have to feel at some point Vince still puts his fingers in there, right? Because it, it seems like it. If it's just Triple H running everything, um, then he would have already have let him take over Raw or SmackDown. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I would gather NXT is the most respected of the three. Um, I think with the IWC, YWC, it's because it's mostly Ring of Honor or TNA guys. Like, you know who I really, really like right now? And I oh. think he would be good for the Great American Bash scenario and the, and the war game scenario. He's an mm-hmm. NWA field guy. Is LA Knight. I hate that name. I love mm-hmm. that he embraced it. He's basically ringmaster in that shit until someone says, all right, well, let's just call you Eli Drake. Um, okay. So I think you have the talent down there that they can have those matches as long as you don't put those stupid filler girl tag. And, again, it could have been guy tag teams. I don't care. But the girl tag team matches where they're not even tag teams. It was like Michelle Martinez and somebody versus those two girls with uh, the dude from Jersey Shore. Um, it just made no sense. I, I don't even remember seeing it. I just remember reading about it the next day, and I'm like, did I go cook something while that match happened? Because I didn't remember it. Um, mm-hmm. But get rid of the filler. I'd rather have four longer matches than five matches that are a little bit shorter so they can put five people on there. And I've said this before. I liked NXT better <laughs> as an hour show than a two-hour well, show. Everybody, everybody said that, and it's, um, it's hurting them right now for being two hours. So it, it's right, losing its luster. I would yeah. much rather them do hour on Tuesday nights and then have an AEW dark. You know, somewhere else have your up-and-comer <laughs> people, right? Um, well, but I think Triple H, I think, is an NWA traditionist. I think I think he trained with Killer Kowalski. I think he probably is someone who watched it growing up mm-hmm. and has a feel for it, whereas Vince right. is more like that was the competition. Triple H just enjoyed it. Vince hated it, you know, so that's why I think you're right. He didn't create it, he doesn't nurture it, but I think Triple H will nurture something that he was a fan of himself. Okay, and with that reflection, as we close this special spotlight on the Great American Bash, we hope you enjoyed the nostalgia, and of course, you know, with the WWE, you know, they always fuck up everything. So anyway, let's close this out. TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here and we can drink our beers and eat our hot dogs and hamburgers on this July 4th weekend. Uh, All righty, the show is at PW Reflection. Uh, Then we got at Big Ray Hernandez, the guy that makes it all possible for us. And Ray, thanks for the, the email thanking us for our nice comments about you last week. Uh, my Twitter and my political, uh, I mean, my political Twitter and my Instagram are at TommyWonder19. Snapchat is number wonder. Uh, I have at the TommyWonder where I talk about the more wrestling and pop culture stuff. Uh, Dum Dum Duel and an Idiot is our YouTube page. Our good man who's missing in action. He's about to get Travis Bolt by me. You're going to have to start giving this handle. Is at the P1JB. And mm-hmm. then obviously, bigvetobrand.wixsite.com and patreon.com backslash the big veto brand. And also, facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder for me. And a special shout out to, to Vito and his wife, Noelle. Uh, they had. On their Facebook, TW and Reflectionize, they they suffered a loss. So I mean, we just offering our condolences and prayers, you know, during these troubled times. So, so I know if they if they listen, Big Vito, just keep your head up and you know our prayers are with you, my brother. So you can find me on my Twitter at pwsoprof. That's pwsoprof. And of course, you can find me 
and the guys on the YouTube, the PWS YouTube page. PW, you're part of the introductions on the PWS uh, YouTube. If you notice, oh, what I did not notice it. You, you got to watch that stuff, man. Do I have to do everything? Can't you just be? You are a grown you ass man. I'm, I'm working and sleeping. That's what I'm doing these days. Uh, oh. Okay, and of course, follow my guys, Billy Ray Valentine, Mr. Infinite Fringe himself. He's got the documents on every political leader in the world at Obi-Wan, you know me. And of course, the king of the reactions, 8-Track Brown at 8-Track Dashley. TW, let's go back to the movies. We were already eating the hot dogs. We were already eating the hamburgers. We have already had the corn on the cobs and the beers. So let's keep that eating tradition going as we go back to the movies and we're going to Watch and review the A-Team, the episode called Body Slam, where Hulk Hogan and Mr. T are tag teaming in 1985, TW. We didn't do that already? No, we didn't. We did not do A-Team. Trust me. We did Body Slam. We did Body Slam, the series with Jesse Ventura and Roddy Roddy Piper. We did not do A-Team, the Body Slam episode with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. So we're going to go back to the movies on that one. And I will get you, and I'll do my due diligence and find you a link for that free A Team episode. For, but maybe it's on so, Peacock. It's an NBC show. Maybe. So we'll check. Check on the Peacock. By the way, everyone bitches about the Peacock. I watched a couple different Great American Bashes. They have so much stuff uploaded on there. My only mm-hmm. gripe is I get it free now because I have Xfinity. I'm mm-hmm. going to find a way to pay the extra five dollars and not get commercials. Those commercials drive me up a wall because it's the same damn commercial every time. Jake from State Farm or a movie preview for The Purge. And they're a minute long, which I guess is at least bearable because you know how long your death sentence is before the thing kicks back on. But it's, Peacock, it's the piss break. is leaps and bounds better than people give it credit for. Yeah, it is, but, uh, you know, pay for the premium, so this way you don't have to get those uh, commercial yep. interruptions. But, anyway, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful TWD Iron Stomach One saying good night, and we will see you next time as we go back to the movies. A-Team, Hulk Hogan, B.A. Baraka style. Good night, Reflectionites. I love my mama. I love my papa.